28. Acts chapter 28 this morning. <clears throat> Acts chapter 28 will begin now in verse 16 as we read the, God, read the word of God together. <clears throat> now when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered these prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Now that I am not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation, for this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Then he said to them, uh, then they said to him, we neither receive letters from Jerusalem concerning you, nor have any of our brethren uh, who, came, who came reported or spoken any evil of you. We desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading concerning Jesus Christ from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. That was a long service, wasn't it? And so he says, and some were persuaded by things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through the, uh, Isaiah, the prophet, to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear, and you shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now, Father, we pray that you will bless the reading and the preaching of your inspired word, your perfect word. Lord, as we would come to glean from it, may, Lord, the word of God dwell in us richly, knowing that the more that uh, we saturate ourselves with your word, the more godly we can become. 
So, Lord, we pray that uh, you will apply it to our hearts, that you would give us revelation from it, that you would speak to our souls, that you would meet our needs through it. Lord, we depend on you. We realize everything, uh, whether we live or die, our destiny, everything depends on your grace and your love for us. Bless your people, Lord, as we would seek your will this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When the Allies had conquered northern Africa, and I think they had uh, conquered Sicily at the time, the soft underbelly of Europe, as Churchill called it, and uh, Russians had won at Stalingrad, and the uh, war in Europe had had turned uh, decidedly in favor of the Allies, for the first time, and they were able to go on offense rather than play defense against the Nazis. And that's when Prime Minister Winston Churchill, after the great battle, the victories that they had won, and yet he realized there was a lot more to go, he said, now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And so that's the sense we get here in the book of Acts is this isn't the end of the book of Acts. I mean, Acts, actually, Acts 29 is going on today because the church now has been established and we see that uh, we are preaching the gospel to the four corners of the world, just like God tells us both in Jerusalem and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so we see that uh, it's kind of interesting, though, as we read the book and as you read, um, have you ever read a book and you get to the end and you say, I want more. And it's really frustrating. Uh, but I love to read biographies. And sometimes I'll read these multi... Uh, in the years past, I haven't done it lately. But I think of William Manchester, who wrote three, two volumes, and he's working on his third a volume on Winston Churchill, and he died before he got to it. And I'm going, oh, I want to see what he has to say at the end, you know. And uh, Robert Caro has done the same thing with Lyndon Johnson. He's wrote four. He's written four volumes on Lyndon Johnson. Only got to his presidency by this time, and he's up. Uh, he's almost a hundred years old now, and I'm just sure that he's not going to finish. You know, it's just one of those things. He's won two Pulitzer prizes to, from two of the not, two of those volumes. But uh, I'm wanting to because I like to have a guy who can really just take me back and put me in the time period and make me see why they made why they did the things they did and why other people. And all of a sudden, you start realizing, hey. It makes, it makes the present world a whole lot different. And so, but it's frustrating when you don't get to the end. Well, here uh, Luke has given us a tremendous uh, history, and it's the only history book we have in the New Testament, and it gets to Rome, and then it says at the very end that uh, the gospel just continued unhindered, as the King James says. It's a, the only word, that's the only time that word, uh, no one forbidding him, that's the only time that Greek word is used in the entire New Testament is unhindered. In other words, now the gospel is free, and it is going forth. It tells us then that the gospel had to leave something behind. And that is now we see a a clean break between Old Testament Judaism and now the Gentile church as it is now becoming more prominent. All the way through, you'll see, as I've uh, given you a list here, uh, how that uh, 
how that Luke has made transitions and he shows us how the gospel was to go forth. That we were to be witnesses. It begins the same way it ends. Um, that uh, the Bible tells us in uh, Luke or in, in uh, Acts chapter one, verse three, that uh, that we were to that the Lord Jesus was speaking the things of God, and then he says in Acts one eight that uh, of course that great commission where we're to go forth and to be witnesses. And there again, we see that it ends like that. Paul is preaching in verse 31 that we just read, uh, the kingdom of God, and he was a witness in Rome. So the, the Bible begins in Jerusalem, and it ends in the capital of the world at the time, Rome. And all roads lead to Rome, and so now the gospel can go forth from all over the place. Now, we think that we see that Paul was there for two whole years and that uh, he had come and that uh, as we see back in the first part of the of the uh, of our reading is that uh, he was delivered off the ship and uh, he wasn't taken as a general prisoner. He had special privileges as a Roman. Plus, he was innocent as far as uh, as Festus and Felix thought. And so he had a very special status. So he was put under house arrest. But even with that, he would be chained to a Roman soldier day in and day out. Now, can you imagine what you would hear from the Apostle Paul if you were chained to him for 24 hours? Do you think you might hear the gospel? You think you might hear about the Lord Jesus? And so you can imagine, and then think about these people. Here, these were soldiers, they, and, and soldiers are redeployed. You get sent all over the world. And so a man gets saved, and it's after he is saved, and two or three of them get saved, and then they are shipped out to another place. Guess what? They're taking the gospel with them. And so we see now that the Roman soldiers, and as we've referred to several times, the book of Philippians, where Paul now, in these two years that he's in Rome, we know that he wrote uh, Galatians, excuse me, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. In fact, uh, he, he met uh, a slave by the name of Onesimus, remember? And he wrote to Philemon about him there. And uh, uh, Onesimus had come to him while he was in, uh, under house arrest. And so you learn a lot, and the, the more you know about the book of Acts, there again, the more that it, makes, it helps you to give a, an understanding to the epistles, especially to uh, the Ephesians and Philippians and other. But uh, then we know he probably was let out uh, for a couple of years because Nero didn't find anything wrong with him. And uh, we see a decided different tune or tone in Second uh, Timothy and Titus. And of course, those are known as uh, when Paul was about ready to be beheaded. But Titus especially tells us and gives us places that Paul mentioned that he had been that aren't mentioned in the book of Acts. So that tells us that, uh, that he was let out and that he had another ministry before he came back to Rome. And uh, tradition has it that uh, he was beheaded uh, at the behest of Nero. Now, uh, if that's the case, then we see then that the gospel is being fulfilled and that uh, we don't need to know all the church history. In fact, there's more volumes written on church history than the book, than, uh, uh, than the book of Acts. You can imagine how many volumes we'd have to have of the Bible if we had the church history. In fact, they're just, uh, 
I took a church history course, and um, there was a guy named Philip Schaff. They're going to talk about volumes of history. And, I mean, he wrote in real small, and he had eight volumes. And he only got up to the 1700s, <laughs> so before he died. So it's one of those things where you just can't cover it all. But we do see the end of the beginning here. We see where the gospel now, the foundations have been laid, and that's exactly the inspired word of God. Now we're to go forth and do likewise. And so we see that Paul is giving us the gospel. Now we see how that it proceeded in verse, chapter 6, verse 7. Uh, Luke tells us that it spread from Jerusalem and many of the priests were saved. So a lot of people in Jerusalem, and especially the, the priests, and of course we know it started, the church started at the day of Pentecost, so the, the word went forth at the day of Pentecost and around the world from the, the Jews that were there. In chapter 9, verse 31, we see the churches of Judea and, and Galilee and Samaria were multiplied. The Christians were multiplied in those churches. Then we see in chapter 12, verse 24, it says, And Herod was angry. And we see the cities of Tyre and Sidon, which is up north, out of Israel now. And we're getting up closer to Asia. And, of course, Antioch was from where God was able to form a church. And that's where Paul started out as a missionary. And so we see that Tyre and Sidon. Uh, but, uh, but the Bible tells us there the word of God grew and multiplied. In chapter 16, after Paul had been preaching, we see the churches in Asia. Of course, Asia would be Turkey today, uh, as we would call it, but that was, it was called Asia Minor today. But uh, the, the churches in Asia increased in number daily. And so he keeps showing us how that uh, these different uh, passages, these are transitional passages that tell us that the church and the gospel was spreading around the world. In chapter 19, verse 20, we see, so the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. And that was in Greece. And so that was in Europe. So both in Asia and Greece, we see the Bible. And we know that from uh, Greece, Paul had written to the Romans ahead of time. And so we see all those, and, we, and now these, many of the Roman Christians, no wonder they wanted to come see him, because he was an apostle. Can you imagine if the apostle Paul came to, to uh, uh, Belvedere, and uh, anybody who wanted to come see him would come see him? You know what, who would be there the most? Me. As a preacher, I'd want to know everything that Paul could teach me. And you think those young preachers and those young uh, Christians around around uh, Rome and every place else that uh, could, heard about Paul, you think they would want to come hear him? They would come and they would come and hear and go and tell. And that's what the Bible. That's what we do. That's what the Bible told uh, the women there at the grave: "Come see, go tell." And that's what uh, Paul did: "Come see, go tell." And that's the that's the gospel. That's what we do here: "Come see, let's learn the word of God, and this go tell everyone else about the word of God." And that's the pattern that we see. So Paul was uh, there as a result now. And we see the gospel going out around the world. And it's so interesting because Paul is bound, but the gospel is going forth. Isn't it interesting how the gospel is indestructible? You know, I've heard several uh, instances. You know, the churches that are growing the fastest in the world today are in the Middle East and China. And that's where there's the most persecution. 
It's interesting how that was. Here, Paul is under the very nose of Nero, one of the most, he was, he was the Hitler of his day. He was the monster of, uh, of uh, ancient world. And yet, the gospel was going forth. Even though he was chained, the gospel was unchained. What a blessing, how that God does that today. And how that, as Tertullian, one of the church fathers, if you want to get into uh, church history and you start reading all these books, but Tertullian made a very famous statement. He said, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And so, in other words, the blood of the martyrs was a very people, you know, and we know that uh, people were thrown at the lions, uh, to, to the lions and everything else, but the gospel multiplied greatly from Rome outward, even during these days. And so we see then, first of all, that uh, we see the preacher in chains. And that's what we see the way he says, that I am bound with this chain in verse, uh, 20, uh, in verse 20. And so he is bound in chain and people having to come to see him. And he's in Rome. And we see that uh, he was put under house arrest and he had this uh, soldier changed to him. But we see that, uh, first of all, in verse 17, he tells them that he tells these Jews, notice he couldn't go to the synagogue. Remember, his pattern was to go to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. The Jews constantly called Paul problems. Even in Philippi, where there wasn't a synagogue, remember the Jews were the ones who stirred up the, the uh, Philippians and had them beaten after death and thrown in jail. So the Jews were always causing problems and we see that there's going to be a clean break between the Jews now and then the Bible it just stops because the Bible now, the, the gospel is going forth. And so we see that uh, he says, and I was innocent from wrongdoing. Then also I was falsely accused. They accused me of things that uh, Felix and Festus, as we looked at, uh, said if, uh, if he had appealed to Caesar, you know, there was, uh, we must have, we should have let him go. But uh, of course they were too weak need to do it, if you remember, as we went through there. And so he appealed to Caesar and that took it out of his hand, uh, their hands. But when he got to Rome, then he was put under house arrest. Remember, we saw over and over again, even though he was in chains, God always showed him kindness. He saw kindness uh, when the, with the centurion who just let him off the ship and go visit his people before he came back to ship to go to, to, go to Rome. We saw that when he hit uh, Malta, uh, the natives there uh, treated him well. And we see how that now he's in Rome and the people are waiting for him. Just, you know, he went through some, some very difficult times. And yet God had a way of encouraging him. And that's what we want to do here. I mean, I hope when you come to Calvary Baptist Church, you, you feel like, man, this is where people love me. This is where I, I, could, I could feel encouraged. I mean, yes, there are a bunch of people, a bunch of, of uh, turkeys around here, but I love everyone. It's one of those things where you just, you know that they're your people and that they'd do anything for you. And that's what Paul saw here. He loved these people, because, but they, of course, because why? He first loved them. But why do we love the Lord Jesus? Because he first loved us. And that's the pattern that we try to follow. And so we see that he appealed to Caesar. And he says, and I speak of the hope of Israel. And that's where we see that for this reason in verse 20, that I've called you to speak to you about the hope of Israel. That is a terminology that Jew would understand. What was the hope of Israel? 
the Messiah. I'm speaking to you about the Messiah. And I want to tell you more about the Messiah, the Savior of, the, of Israel and the hope of Israel, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to tell you about him. And I'll tell you about him in the Old Testament if you'll just listen. I'll go from, I'll go from uh, Genesis to Malachi and I'll show you how that the Lord was promised and how that he's come and how that he came and all the things that this Jesus that I'm talking about is a total fulfillment of the Old Testament. Just come and listen. And so we see that uh, they came. Their Jews' response, they said, we haven't heard anything about, uh, about you. Now, it's kind of hard to believe because uh, there's a lot of those people for the last 30 years or over have been to Jerusalem and they knew about a lot of the turmoil that was caused by the Christian church that had started there, Pentecost, and they they'd probably heard about Paul. But uh, there again, they're trying to be gracious and uh, tell them that we want to get together because we are curious. Uh, okay, um, we want to know about what you're talking because we've heard about this. And of course, everywhere we go or everything, it's spoken against everywhere. In other words, we Jews, we're against it. And so the appointed time was set. And we have the appointed time. And it's a kind of interesting. I like that idea. God is a God of timing and patterns. And it was at the right time, at the right place, that God was able to give the word of God. And so and we see in our lives, it's appointed unto man once to die. We have appointments with the Lord. The Bible says, behold, now is the appointed time. Now is the time of salvation. So if anyone who's hearing us uh, worldwide, and one of, I met two people that have been listening to us over the Internet this past week. What a blessing it is to know that. And uh, just people that I had no idea would be listening. But uh, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you're not sure you're going to he- on your way to heaven, today is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to know the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ and to know that you can be turned from death into life and from the power of Satan unto God. And so we see that now he said at this appointed time, he said that, uh, he says in verse 21, he says, many uh, came to him in the lodging, so they had to come to him rather than him going to them, and said to whom he explained solemnly and testified of the kingdom of God, and what was the first sermon, the first words the Lord said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So this appointed time, the, first, the, the primary thing is to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. He says, persuading them, lovingly persuading them. Notice he didn't just preach at them. But he was warning them. He, he says, and of course, he had already written to the Romans and to the Jews there in Rome. And he had said, oh, my brother, my heart's desire is that my people would come to know the Lord. Oh, I would, I would be willing to go to hell myself if God would save my nation. Now, I'm not willing to do that. We've talked about that. I love you people. But, uh, you know, I know I can't save you in the first place, but I'm not willing to die for you. And I'm certainly not willing to give my son for you. But there again, I have, a father, I have a God who did. And so we see that that loving persuasion. You said he persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses. That's what the Pentateuch, 
uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then the prophets. It's interesting that he doesn't say the kings, although we have just history of kings all through. He says the prophets because the law and the prophets, the prophets were the proclaimers. They were the proclaimers of the word of God. And the prophets were more important to God than the kings. In fact, the prophets were sent to set the kings straight. I love that passage. In fact, I preached on uh, 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 First Kings chapter 17 at uh, one time, and I just will use that first verse where uh, Elijah goes and stands before, Eli- before old wicked King Ahab, and he says, As the Lord God of Israel uh, uh, liveth for whom I serve. And I preached a message on that, about the, you know, about the setting and everything. And someone said, I never had any idea you get so much out of one verse. But you know, there again, the whole setting there was that he was going and setting as a man of God. He's saying the word of God and, the, and the, that I'm preaching the word of God to you as a king. And we see that again with Daniel as he stands before, uh, Nehemiah, before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, there's a God in heaven. And he's a 17-year-old kid. You know, standing before the man that could have put him to death, of course he had the gold head. There's nobody that's had more absolute power in the world than Nebuchadnezzar had. And he stands before him as a teenager and says, there's a God in heaven. Boy, what a blessing. And so we see that uh, they were prophets. And folks, we need prophets today that will stand in Washington, D.C. and say there's a God in heaven. We need some, some preachers that will send in these university towns and say, there's a God in heaven, and you're not the high priestesses of, uh, and priests of, uh, of whatever, the cults that you're in today. And all we see all the, the, the anger. We see all the, the false religion and all the things that are going on and the one world religion that's coming together, the globalism and all those different things. There's a God in heaven, folks. And although it looks like uh, we're behind and that we're in the chains and we might be put in physical chains, but that might be the very way the gospel gets out better is if we get out of the way and let God, let people come to us. And so there again, we see that uh, the law of Moses and the prophets uh, from morning to evening. And so he preached from, I would have loved to have been under that. One time I went and I listened to uh, uh, a master of, uh, I won't mention him, but he's a very good pastor. He's still alive, and I won't mention his name right now, but he, he has a way from Genesis to Revelation, to Genesis to uh, Malachi, of just presenting and showing how that the Old Testament uh, coordinates with the New. And I just sat there, and it was a three-hour uh, lesson. And I was saying, keep on going. Forget the coffee. I want, you know, I want to hear. It was just, just so much. And you can imagine these people and the ones who are listening. And it was starting to apply to their, you can imagine what they were doing. Their eyes were starting to be open. And the Bible says that some of them were persuaded in verse 24. Some of them said, oh, that's it. That's what I need. That's what I've been looking for. That's the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. He can meet my needs. He's God. And they said, oh, the light turned on. And they were saved. But here's one of the, the things that uh, just, has, just always just mystifies me to no end as a pastor. 
people from the same background, same families, same education, everything, can come and hear the same message and go away, one going to heaven and one going to hell. I just, uh, I mean, there have been times when uh, I've been, as a pastor, and we'll have an evangelist, and we've got some people there that I'm really wanting to see God work in their hearts. And uh, they will meet me at the door, you know, good to see you, preacher. You know, the other people that God's opened their eyes, and oh, they're, they're down at the altar, and they're begging God, to, you know, just why does God do that? Or how does it happen? God doesn't do it. It's, uh, it's how God has made us so that either we accept him or reject him. And I don't understand how that a person can reject him because I've accepted him. But then again, a person who's rejected him rejects me too. Isn't it interesting? And so I don't understand. That's the providence of God. Why do some people get saved from the most simple message and other people can hear from Genesis to Revelation, the word of God, from the most profound speakers outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, and go away on their way to hell. I just don't understand. But then again, I don't understand the, the foreordination of God because God predicted this. And it's interesting that we see that he uses the he uses the passage where, if you remember, Isaiah, the prophet, saw the, he said, in the, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And that was in Isaiah chapter 6. And he talks about how that uh, holy, 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 and he bowed, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And the Lord came and purified him from the altar and all that. And then the, he said, Lord, uh, who is going to go tell? And he said, and, he, and the Lord said, who's going to go and tell? And he said, Lord, here am I. Send me. Well, that's a great passage all on that. But he says, now, Isaiah, you're going to have to realize that you're going to go to this people and hearing you, they will not understand. And seeing you, the, and seeing you will, they will not perceive. And for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Now he's talking to Jews here. People that knew the word of God. The people that practiced uh, Yom Kippur and Passover. And they knew a lot of the Old Testament. In fact, to be a bar mitzvah, by the time you're 12, 13 year old boy, you had to have a lot of the book of Deuteronomy memorized. And you remember the Lord Jesus, I thought he quoted when he talked to to Satan, uh, was... The book of Deuteronomy. So here we see that uh, he says, uh, for the hearts uh, of his people had grown dull. And he says, they're hearing, they've quit hearing. That's one of the things I fear about people, kids that grow up in church, is that they've heard it all their lives. And there again, there comes a time in everybody's life where you say, does this belong to me or is this the parents or is this my preacher or whatever? No, the Lord Jesus has to be your personal savior. Now, I think a lot of children are, are saved at the bedside. My wife was. I think, I, I love to think, uh, as I talked to um, the Al and to Darlene, I loved her testimony, how that her mother uh, came home from church one day, from Calvary Baptist Church, when it was down at, out uh, where the bank is now. Uh, so which way? This way. But uh, there again. And... Uh, you know, her mother just, uh, she was wondering about salvation. Her mother led her to the Lord right there on the bed. 
And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Darlene in heaven again, aren't you? I'm sure Alice. But to their good, you know, to, those are sweet memories, aren't they? But to their again, a lot of kids who get saved at uh, 12, you know, 8, 10 years old, they have to later on, I don't want to call it confirmation, but it is something where all of a sudden I've got to take charge of my own life. Am I going to follow the Lord or not? And a lot of kids drop out. But there again, uh, are they saved? And I'll let God deal with that. But I do know that if you're saved, God's going to keep dragging you back to himself. Because once saved, always saved. But once saved, always changed. You'll never get away from it. It'll be the greatest blessing or the worst burden you've ever had in your life, whether you want to know the Lord or not. But here he says that these people, there's going to be a group, this nation, talking about the nation. They're going to hear, but they won't hear. They're going to see. And can you imagine? They saw the Messiah. They heard him. They saw his miracles. And I, even we were able to tie together how the, the little children and uh, Psalm 114 that we looked at this past uh, Wednesday night and how that very graphic images about how, uh, you know, the... Uh, why did you? Why do you? Why did you flee away? Oh, see. Why did you uh, start, turn back? Oh, uh, river. We're talking about Jordan. I mean, just very graphic images that the, the kids would read as they would gather together with their family at uh, Passover, and so they knew all this. And boy, it would be all in their mind. And here they. And so what? Uh, those were rhetorical questions that were just put in Psalm one one fourteen. But then there was a rhetorical question that, that the disciples asked. Remember, it was exactly the, almost the same thing. Who is this man that even the winds and the sea obey him? I mean, it was all right there. I mean, just 114 to, to Matthew, just right there. What a blessing. And so everything, every miracle the Lord did was to prove that he was the Messiah of the Old Testament. Every person he healed was to show that he was the God who created. And if God can create you, he can heal you. Everything he did was to show that he was God. And so when he, and so they, but they saw it. So that tells me one thing, folks. That tells me, oh, if I just knew God was right. I, if, you know, if I saw God strike something down or what, listen, you wouldn't believe. If, you, if they found the Noah's Ark, and it has Noah's Ark over it. And then you can go in and see where elephants were here and dinosaurs, whatever, alligators were here or whatever else. And they could prove without a shadow of a doubt that that was Noah's Ark. Guess what? People wouldn't be saved. Remember what uh, the rich man was told in hell? He said, oh, let me out just for a while. Let me go tell my brothers and sisters. And, and uh, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, and they won't hear them. They're not going to hear you either. Well, wait, I come back from hell, and I'll talk to them. If they are blind, they're blind, folks, because it all depends on what you do with the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's not willing that any should perish. That includes you, but that all should come to repentance. And the call of God is saying, whosoever will may come. Do you know him? And if you're under the sound of our voice this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ is not willing or does not want you to go to hell. That's your choice. God wants you to hear. 
And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we want to make sure that we spend time in the Word. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners, that we are, that, uh, that uh, the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. But the gift of God, and praise the Lord for gift. I didn't earn any of this this morning. But it, what if I just said, I don't want it. Do you think that might hurt a few feelings? I don't know if there's anything in there or not. But, but you know, whatever. But do uh, you think it might hurt a few feelings? Yes. So whenever the Lord has done so much for you and paid such a price and you say, I don't want it. You think it grieves the heart of God? Yes. And so the Lord did, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we see those mixed results that he had. Some did, some didn't. But we see that the word of God was fulfilled. And it's interesting because this very passage is used by Matthew in chapter 13 when he begins those great parables and, you know, just parable after parable. And he says, I'm speaking to him in parables because hearing they're not going to hear and seeing they're not going to see. And he uses this exact same passage and we see it both in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of those books. And then we see that in all four of those books that this passage is quoted. The Jews would not see... And now we see Luke quotes it at the very end of the book of Acts. And so we see, though, the gospel is, and there's a great statement right after it. Therefore, let it be known to you, to you Jews, that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. In other words, the gospel is now going primarily to the church because you as a nation have rejected it. doesn't mean that, that, that Jews can't be saved. In fact, we'll have a saved Jew here next week. But at the same time, it does say that I am not going to be working with the nation of Israel anymore. And in fact, within seven years of this time, the whole priesthood is going to be destroyed at the destruction of the temple by the Romans in 70 AD. And, and Israel is, is going to cease to exist and uh, the only thing that's going to be left are synagogues with no organized center to, to worship. And it's suggested there again, there's a 2,000 year uh, miracle of how God kept the Jew together even though they didn't have a central place of worship. Just amazing as a people and as a, even as a religion. Just amazing how God did that because he still has a promise to them. He promised them something that's going to come later on. But here we see that now, in this age, God has chosen the church to be the primary source of evangelism and worship of the Lord. No longer. Now, remember, Paul went back to the temple and he even made vows at the temple and sacrificed at the temple. Even as a Christian, he did that. But no more. It's over. It's done. And to make, to make an exclamation mark on it, God destroyed it. In about six years from now, from this time, about eight, six, eight years from this time. And the temple was no more. And the nation of Israel was no more until when? 1948. And all of a sudden now we're seeing some things coming along that God, where God's going to restore them just like he promised. But today is the day that the church 
is the primary source of God's blessing to the world. It's this message. And folks, if we get away from this, if we just start uh, food, uh, food drives and pantries and all that, I want to do that. I mean, I don't mind that at all. In fact, we have as a church taken up gifts and everything for those who do because we don't have a big enough facility to do it. But folks, if we, all we do is feed people and don't tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, all we're doing is sending fat people to hell. Uh, well-nourished people to hell. I better not use that word. But you understand what I'm saying. I mean, if all I do is buy a guy a car and, and say, boy, I'm a Christian and I love you and I just want to see you make a lot of money, then I can go to send a rich man to hell. Because it's the word of God that changes hearts. And so, yeah, the, did the Lord feed people? Yes, but he preached the gospel. And his whole goal was to reach the, the people with the word of God. And so, folks, whenever people come in and... Uh, the, the church here, and well, whoa, how many we live in an area where we, I get a lot of it. Well, if I can't witness to them then, and talk to them a little bit about the things of the Lord, I'm kind of a little hesitant about just giving them money. In fact, we don't give a whole lot of money. We give assistance, but we don't give money because just recently I had a person come by on a, a Saturday night when I was still here and uh, knocked on the door. And of course, that's always a little scary around here. And they wanted money. Now, what would a person want money for on a Saturday night with bars down the street? <laughs> you know, so you got to be smart about wanting to help people. And I want to help people. In fact, I did. And she said she was hungry. So I went down. I had some grape juice and some crackers and because and all that. And I gave them to her. I said, come back later, but this will sustain you till tomorrow. She never came back. But there, there again, you know, she wanted money for other things. But, uh, but folks, we're here to preach the word of God. Everything else is axillary. I mean, just it's auxiliary. Because we get away from the word of God and we get into the social gospel and into politics. And the, Now, I'm, I'm anti-abortion. But I want to preach to those anti-abortionists because there's a lot of those people, even though they're anti-abortion, they're on their way to hell until they get saved. Does that make sense? Simply because you belong to a certain political party or that you belong to a per, certain uh, righteous thing, uh, righteous movement in America doesn't make you a Christian. We've got to realize that. The principle is the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's all one syllable of words that a first grader can understand. Either you have it or you don't. Either you know him or you don't. And so we see now that the gospel is to go forth and the primary source from that today, for better or for worse, and that sometimes I, even with, uh, as you see, the nation of Israel is only a miracle that God ever kept them together. You look at some of the scoundrels that come through churches. You've seen some of the religious movements that uh, are a desecration to heaven and God himself. And yet God has still preserved churches like this to preach the gospel. I don't understand it. Do you? And yet God says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so, folks, we're here because by the grace of God. We're here by the power of God. We're here because God wants us to proclaim his word to a lost and dying world. And as we saw in Sunday school, he even teaches the angels in heaven the men of his multifaceted wisdom through churches like this. I don't understand that either. But I, but I want to be one of those who hear 
and hear a lot, not hear a knock. I want to be a person who says, oh, Lord, seek and I'll find. Knock and it'll be opened up. Lord, I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people who said, Lord, give me more. Give me more. More about Jesus, what I know. More about Jesus to other show. I want to, I want to know the Lord. But, oh, folks, how sad it is. There's an implication here. The more people hear the Lord and reject it, the more hard they get. And the more, uh, the hotter hell gets for them. Because to whom much is given, what? Much is required. Well, pastor, what about those people that live in deep, dark Africa who never heard? I'm more concerned about the people right here in Belvedere that used to be members of Calvary Baptist Church who have heard the gospel for a hundred times and now they're living like, like Satan warmed over. And you, are they saved? I, not by, the, uh, by their works. The Bible says you'll know them. Uh, not by the works. Well, I know they're saved. I'll let God take care of the rest. But I'm more concerned about people right here in Belvedere. Now, we're concerned. We, you know, we send thousands of dollars a year around the world for the gospel. But folks, we want to reach people right here. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? Come see. Go tell. Let's hear the word of God. Let's go out and tell it. And so we see that Paul dwelt two whole years in that rented house. And he received many and he preached to them the kingdom of God teaching things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. And I like what the King James says there, unhindered. Unhindered. In other words, now you say, wait a minute, he's under chains, he's Nero, you got all these things going. No, uh, uh, when God says it's unhindered, even, even if we die, if the gospel goes forth, it's unhindered. And the blood of the martyrs was the seat of the church. And so the gospel went forth, even though many people paid the price for it. And that's what we want to see, is the Lord Jesus Christ using us. Folks, we can't destroy the truth. The truth shall make us free. But let's make sure that we preach the truth. His word is truth. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? Has there been a time in your life where the Lord Jesus says, you realize that you're a sinner. You realize that you're, there's something outside of you that you need. There's a God-sized vacuum, vacuum in your heart, and you don't know what it is. Well, the folks, this is the call of God. That's the Holy Spirit saying you have the need of salvation. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Turn from your way to my way. Accept me as your Lord, as your Savior. Won't you do that today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great book you've given us. Your revelation of your great love for us. And the great price that you paid that we can know you as our Father, as our Savior, as our Lord. And Father, if there's someone within the sound of our voice this morning, who is wondering about that in their own personal lives. They realize that they, they don't have the answers. There, there's something missing. And Lord, you're, even now we realize that you are the one that puts those doubts and you are the ones who put those thoughts in their hearts in the first place to show them their need. 
And oh, Lord, as you would say, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Oh, may we realize, Lord, that we're sinners, that we need you as our Savior. And Lord, for that person who's never accepted you, may today be the appointed time, the time of their salvation. For we pray in Jesus' name.